The Free for All Roundtable. Round one. On round one, we say good morning to Mark Tuohy, advisor to business and political leaders. Matt Gurney is here, journalist, co-founder of The Line, which is an online magazine. Karima Saad is a Toronto lawyer. Happy Monday to everyone. All the happier still because the education workers and the government got to a deal yesterday and there is no strike. Um, Mark Tuohy, I'm not awarding points, but I guess some people eventually will decide whether or not the government or the union won this round. I just think parents and kids are winning. Absolutely. I mean, the big winners here are families that get to keep their kids in school, which is where they should be. Uh, the government is not going to do much of a victory lap because this has yet to be ratified by the uh, membership. And it doesn't look good if they're out there doing the happy dance as if they, uh, you know, pulled a fast one over on the union. Uh, they need the uh, members uh, to sign off on this. I don't think anybody got anything that they didn't deserve on either side. So that's usually the way with collective bargaining. I think this is a good result. It's pretty much the result they had last week. I think the only uh, bloody nose here is the uh, union leader, uh, Laura Walton, who has consistently shown that she doesn't really know how to do negotiations. She could have had this thing all signed, sealed, and delivered last week. Instead, it's this week. In the end, the kids win. Uh, Karima Sad, your thoughts? Um, I don't know that I would characterize it in quite the same way. Um, from what I can tell, there weren't many more concessions made by the government. And the remaining sticking point, at least from the press release, is that no additional money was provided for student support. So I don't know that it is, in fact, a long-term win for parents and kids. But we'll see how the members react to the deal and whether they ratify and move forward. Yeah, Matt Gurney, I know people love winners and losers when it comes to something like this, but I honestly can't think of, you know, I can't say any side got played or any side emerged, uh, in, you know, triumphant. Yeah, it seems to me like we finally got around to doing what we should have actually done weeks ago, because Mark had said that we could have had something like this by last week. I, I, could we not have had this like three weeks ago? Could we not have avoided the entire two-day strike in the first place? For the government being declared the winner here, though, and obviously, like, hopefully, hopefully the, the union members look at this deal and go, well, it's not all we hope for, but we can live with it and we'll take it for the next few years. For the government declaring victory, though, I mean, they're going off of this one right into other negotiations right. like all of the teachers unions are coming up i think they have opposite workers coming up as well here the government might not feel victorious they might feel like they live to fight another day a uh, dramatic week ahead i don't know if anybody has any fearless predictions uh, matt gurney i'll start with you because you like watching uh politics like an observing sport um but we have i think seven cabinet ministers testifying before the inquiry into the declaration of the Emergencies Act, and then it all culminates with Justin Trudeau, who needs to look like he's not sweating on the stand. The federal uh, testimony and the federal focus actually began late last week. And up until now, you know, it's interesting, right? Because the Federals Act is emergency legislation only really, if we boil this right down to the basics here, only the federal cabinet has any influence into the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act. They're the only ones whose behavior really needs to be reviewed in this. But it took five weeks to get it there. Everything up until now has been context. We've 
We've heard from provincial officials. We've heard from Ottawa municipal officials. We've even heard from convoy protesters themselves here. We only began getting into that federal reaction last week. We had RCMP National Commissioner Brenda Lucky. We had Jody Thomas, the Prime Minister's National Security Advisor. The federal testimony thus far has been really, really interesting. I think Brenda Lucky comes out of this again, not looking good. I honestly don't know how this woman still has a job. I think Jody Thomas, the Prime Minister's National Security Advisor, I actually thought her testimony was really, really, really nuanced and interesting. The question, John, I think I think you speak to this, is going to be whether or not the feds look nervous on the stand, but whether they're also able to kind of capture that same degree of complexity and nuance that uh, Jody Thomas was. I honestly don't know, but it feels like after five weeks of preamble, we're getting to the main event. Okay. Mark Tui, do you think there's any jeopardy here for cabinet ministers and the prime minister? Because obviously some people are going to try to get them to contradict each other. Yeah, and I suspect they might a little bit, which is not unusual in any kind of a testimony like this if you're speaking under oath. Having said that, politics is a, is a, is not fought in the court of, uh, of law. It's fought in the court of public opinion. So any kind of differences, people will magnify and make a big deal. But I think it's been a fascinating process. I mean, it's... It, Matt is right. We're coming down to the nub of the question. Why did you make this decision? Was that the right decision to make at the time? We have heard from all of the bit players, the police officers, the the other experts who uh, were asked basically, what did you see? What did you do? What did you tell the decision makers? We've stripped away, I think, through this testimony, the idea that uh, some cabinet ministers floated during the event itself that, oh, well, we had to do this because the police asked for Well, no, clearly the police didn't ask for it, although they were quite happy to have the extra powers. So now it comes down to cabinet who were fully within their right to use this uh, law and to invoke it. But uh, they will have to own the reasons why. And it'll be interesting to hear why they made the decision. And Kareem, I appreciate it. it is a judicial inquiry. It's not a TV show or a soap opera, but you couldn't plot it better than to culminate in the prime minister having to testify. I mean, <laughs> that's a, it's a logical choice, I think, to sort of end on that note. Um, the storytelling through the, the questions and the advocacy, to me, it's not entirely clear um, where this will end up and, and how the report will reflect everything that we've learned. Um, so it, it, uh, as Matt described, it, the main event is coming up. Um, and, and we'll see how it aligns with everything we've heard thus far. Um, I'm not sure how much time I need to dedicate this topic um, to, but uh, Elizabeth May has been re-elected as the head of the federal Green Party. Uh, Matt Gurney, until this party, I, 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 I barely feel why they matter. I frankly think that Maxime Bernier is a more compelling individual and he doesn't have any MPs. I have a simple rule that I always lead with whenever I'm talking about Elizabeth May, the Green Party in general. We pay them too much attention. You know, there was maybe an argument five, ten years ago that the Green Party was an emerging force in Canadian politics, that Elizabeth May was, you know, charting out some new path forward. And then in recent years, we have seen the Green Party completely fall apart. Hey, congratulations to Miss May. You got your job back. Good for you. The problem, of course, is that two thirds of your own membership didn't even show up to vote in the process here. 
the more attention we pay to this party, the worse they look. The closer they come to any real influence, the more dysfunctional that they become, the longer they last, the more quickly they've fallen apart here. It is endlessly fascinating to see what happens if you take a high school clique and turn it into a federal political party. But in a serious <laughs> sense, we do give them too much attention. Yeah, Mark Tui, I put to mind of the famous quote from Henry Kissinger, where he said that uh, campus politics, or actually academic politics, are so vicious because they're so unimportant. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that needs to be said or should be said about the Green Party. They're irrelevant. Um, I'm happy to move on. Okay. Uh, Karima, your thoughts or shall we move on? <laughs> I mean, I could make a joke about recycling, I guess. Um, <laughs> if, if we... Uh... The one thing to emerge maybe a little bit different is this this concept of co-leadership. Um, and, and so I don't know if, if that will practically speaking, have any real impact. Um, it's been something to watch uh, from the outside and just a cycle back to, you know, basically where they started. Uh, some former Toronto mayors have written a letter to John Tory urging him not to use his strong mayor powers. Uh, Mark Tui, this just, it sort of reminds me of me telling the dog to behave while I'm on my way out of the house. I got no control over it. Yeah, and this is a clique of, uh, you know, former, you know, famous people that like to constantly be in the news whenever they can get into the news. Um, one of the former mayors of Toronto is what I would consider truly a former mayor of Toronto as it exists now. David Miller, uh, was the mayor of the Toronto that exists today. The others were basically glorified city councillors that ran, you know, one tenth, well, not one tenth, but, you know, one quarter of the wards of the city. I don't think they have much context. They have very little experience. They don't really understand uh, what the, the city is about. And it was a tiny little fiefdom for them. That can't be the way that you run Canada's uh, sixth largest government. You know, we've, the city of Toronto has 50 some odd thousand employees and it's got a bigger budget and it administers more population than four provinces. So, you know, it needs a different governance structure. I don't like the way the provincial government government has decided to change things, but change was absolutely needed. Okay, listen, there's a couple of other topics I want to jump on. So, uh, Matt Gurney, I'll turn to you on this next topic, which is the president of FIFA uh, delivering a speech on the weekend as they were launching the World Cup of Soccer, saying, I feel, today I feel Qatari, today I feel Arab, today I feel African, today I feel gay, today I feel disabled, on and on and on it goes. I mean, I don't know that there's any repairing the fact that Qatar is kind of a backward country unworthy of this international event. Yeah, like he notably didn't say, I feel like a dead slave laborer who died during construction of an athlete's venue. So I, I don't know what he was trying to do here. You would think with all the money FIFA has, they would find like a better comms person for the guy who has to go out and address the world like this. I, you know, I think in a weird way, though, Qatar hosting the World Cup is useful. Like it is sort of like cutting out all the pretense, all the all the preamble, getting right down to the raw essence of this. Qatar had this because they bribed enough enough officials and they spent enough money. It is astonishing to see it reduced to its purest essence like this, but it kind of forces us to confront that, not just the World Cup, I mean, other events like large races or the Olympics, 
often comes down to exactly this. Like, it's funny when the FIFA guy goes out and tells the world, I feel gay, I feel disabled, and then thinks that will go well for him. But for the rest of us, we kind of have to ask ourselves what the hell we're doing doing it this way. Well, and Karima, there's no small amount of irony. Matt was referencing the spokesperson for FIFA. Actually, the, the one we're talking about is the president. But the guy who is the official comms person and spokesperson came out of the closet this weekend, probably because he was told to. Uh, yeah, the whole the whole exercise um, is just uh, it, absolutely it's bringing this into stark relief. I think most of the news stories I've seen about um, the the FIFA Cup are, in fact, focusing on the human rights abuses um, that that took us, you know, to to get to these buildings. And of course, Qatar, um, you know, has this problem going beyond. The FIFA Cup. Uh, I, what a bizarre statement to watch um, and to think that that would be compelling in, in any way, shape or form. Um, and and I, I don't know, this is an international problem. Uh, and I hope that, you know, it's not just about raising awareness, but but actual action can be taken. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Karima Sad, Mark Tui and Matt Gurney. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.